Andy Stanley has written a little book. Since nobody's perfect, how good is good enough? And in it, he starts off with a story. He says, the story is told of a Sunday school teacher whose assignment was to explain to the six-year-olds in his class what someone had to do in order to get to heaven. In an attempt to discover what the kids already believed about the subject, he asked a few questions. If I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me to heaven? No, the children answered. And if I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me to heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well, then he said, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my wife, would that get me to heaven? Again, they all shouted, no. Well, then how can I get into heaven? A boy in the back row stood up and shouted, you gotta be dead. Kids, a theologian, right? We recognize that, that uh, yeah, you have to be dead before you can get into heaven. Okay, right? But now after that, let's just assume you're dead for a second. On what basis, after that, are you in or out? You know, that is a very important question. Matter of fact, I can't think of a more important question than that. Uh, several reasons. First of all, Jesus has told us in his word that every one of us has an appointment with him. We will. Everybody spends forever somewhere. You will. We will spend time before him to give an account. God's already got it down on it in his appointment book. He knows the time and the date that you will be there. Everybody will be there. Second thing. And Jesus says this. He says, not everybody gets in. Matter of fact, the majority don't. It's as narrow is the road, right? And few there are who find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go thereof. Also, and this is the, this, the scariest part, and that's, that's this, that once we die, our eternity is, is set. It's been determined. There's no second chances. There's no mulligans that are, that are given at, at this point. That which we have decided before we die is just waiting to be enacted on. That's it. No. Oh, now I see none of that. It's done. So so when you realize that 70, 80, 100 years we might live down here, it's just a drop in a bucket compared to eternity. Therefore, there's no greater question for us to ask than how do we get there? How do you connect with God? Now, I'm guessing that most of us in this room today are saying, I know the answer to this one. I got to figure it out. And most I'm guessing that most of us probably do. But you'd have to agree with me, wouldn't you, to say that if you have that knowledge, there's also no greater responsibility in the world than that which comes with that knowledge. Let's face it. If the whole world is dying of a plague and you're the only one, you've got the serum, you've got the the antidote. It's cheap and it's easy, but you've got it. You're not going to share it with anybody. Well, my family's dying and you've got the answer, but you're not going to share it. You know, we would have some names for you, but none of them would be complimentary, would they? That's that is an incredible responsibility. We have lots of reasons probably why we don't. Now, you're with me. The greatest question you can ask is, is how do you get in? The greatest task, if you know the answer, is to share it. But probably the hardest thing to do is just that, isn't it? It's easy as a Christian to go to Bible studies, to go to prayer meetings, to go to church, to go do all those things. But it's awful difficult to walk across the road, isn't it? 
My, awful hard to, to, to talk to the person in the cubie next to you. Oh, man. Now, there's different reasons. Fear, insecurity. I think one of the, the key reasons, though, that comes up from time to time is, I'm just not sure what to say or how to say it. Uh, you know, here's a project for you. At work this week or at school or at the club or wherever you go. Just do an informal survey. Ask people, say, listen, just doing an informal survey. Want to know, in your estimation, how does one get into heaven? Now, you might find so, folks say, well, I don't believe in heaven. Well, okay, fine. Just, but just assume there is one and there is a God. How do you think people would get there? And most probably you're going to get lots of, uh, I've got to be kind to my fellow man. Don't do anything bad and be nice and pay my taxes and good citizen. You know, you know all, the, all the, the works things that will come up. That's, that's where folk are. That's what, they're, that's what they're thinking. Now, what we want to look at this morning is there was a man who was thinking those very things. And, and he came to Jesus. And we're going to look at one of the most pri- public, private conversations in the Bible of a guy who came with that very question. Oh, what, what do you got to do? And yet his mindset was, I guess you're just supposed to be good. And when we see how Jesus addresses this guy, we, we can recognize a little bit uh, clearer how we can, can address folks. So if you've got your Bibles, will you learn, open to John chapter 3? Jesus and Nicodemus. Yes, Jesus and Nicodemus. A lot of things get us off, don't they, when we get, get down this road. Um, people will want to take the conversation into... Your view of origins and uh, Bible versions and the Crusades and on and on and on and on. However, just so we're, we're, we're straight, we understand that when folk get to the gate, they're not going to be asked what, their, what, what version of the Bible they, they read. As important as that is. They're not going to be asked their view of origins, as, as important as that is. Or, or do you hold to the doctrinal distinctives of the Christian Missionary Alliance? As important as that is, I'm Alliance. I'm a creationist. I'm there. But those aren't the questions that that determine whether somebody gets in or is out. Yet that's where we often want to go, trying to convert them to whatever else. First thing we need to do is convert them to to Christ. And so let's look at at John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, we've been programmed, most of us, growing up in the church, that when we hear of Pharisees, you know, we think guys got little horns come out of his head and a goatee and maybe a pitchfork. These guys were bad, bad stuff. That's what we're thinking. And on one level, maybe, maybe so. But we've got to keep in mind who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were, were theological conservatives. The, the, the Pharisees had a very high view of their Bible. The only Bible they had, of course, was the Old Testament. But they believed that everything for life was in the Old Testament. It dealt with every aspect of their life. Everything. And so they would search it diligently to find what it said. And on aspects of their life that they couldn't find a a verse or they couldn't find a command or law, they kind of looked around the corner of the verse and they connected some dots and they came up with something because they were convinced that God's word shared everything that they needed. And so these guys were professional do-gooders. They applied everything. And so when you think of the Pharisees, one of the things you've got to keep in mind is these guys had a deep, deep commitment to the Word of God. I dare say that they probably lived out the Old Testament anyway a little bit better than you or I do. 
Uh, Also notice this about Nicodemus, that Nicodemus wasn't just a normal Pharisee. It says that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Josephus lets us know that there are about 7,000 Pharisees at the time of Jesus. Now, Josephus, though, is a member of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, about 70 people, approximately 50% of them were Pharisees. So, so, so Nicodemus is, is one of the elite. He is a sophisticated, highly intelligent, deeply religious, incredibly revered, respected man. Everyone knew of Nicodemus. He was a mover and shaker. He was a major influencer in Jewish religious life. That's who Nicodemus was. It says that he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Nick came at night. You've heard of Nick at night? This is where they get that. <laughs> he came at night. Now, lots of reasons are given why did he come at night. Well, he worked too long, worked long hours, and just decided he had to come to Jesus after hours, and that's what he did. Or maybe he just wanted some private time with Jesus, and people were always around Jesus, and so that, that's why he did it. But most probably what we know about Nicodemus, we're going to find out later about him, is that he came at night because that was going to be his cover. He came uh, in stealth. Didn't want his, his Jewish Pharisee buddies to find out he was talking to Jesus. Bad, it's a bad analogy, but I think it gets a little bit of the point across. It'd be kind of like if Hugh Hefner said, you know, I think I would like to talk with Billy Graham. You know, that the media would be going, whoa, all kinds of speculation would go on. And Nicodemus knows that if people know he needs to go talk to Jesus, there'd be all kinds of speculation. Let's just be quiet about this thing and let's just do this under the cover of night. Also, though, we know from John that John is given to irony more than any of the other New Testament authors. And especially this phrase at night, when John uses that most often, He's thinking probably a physical life, light, night, but also he's thinking of a spiritual darkness. And, and I'll give you an example. These are several places we could go in John. But in John chapter 13, in John chapter 13, Jesus, the Last Supper, he's getting ready to dismiss Judas. And it says, um, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus says, what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the table meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. John says it's a very spiritually dark time. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, John's letting us know, spiritual darkness. Now, Nicodemus' eyes were used to darkness. That's what he got used to. This was life for him. But one day he saw a little glow. And as the glow got closer, he recognized it was Jesus. And that intrigued him. So he decided, I've got to talk to him. And so he comes to talk to Jesus in chapter 3. And he says, uh, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, don't take Nick's comments as major orthodoxy, because Nicodemus is still a long way off on the identity of Jesus. I mean, he's not saying Jesus is even a prophet here, more or less the Messiah or the Son of God or deity. 
He's just saying, you know what? I recognize that the only one that can heal blind people or raise someone from the dead or turn water into wine or do any of the other miracles. The only one who does those kind of things is God. And God does not give away his power indiscriminately. And somehow, Jesus, you've got it. That's all, that's, that's all he's, he's, he's mentioning here. Now, you know, this is interesting to me, this Nicodemus deals. I think Nick represents people generally. How many folk, when the lights are on, daytime, they're going to their Sanhedrin, man, they are doing their, their thing, they are living their life. Nobody has a clue what's going on, but they come to Jesus at night. When, the, when, they're, when they're in their room, the door's locked, the lights go off, they, they, they crawl into bed. Maybe they say, God, are you real? I mean, is this all there is? Can you give me a sign? I have a feeling that Jesus gets a lot of nighttime visitors. And I, I, I think it would amaze myself and, and y'all if Jesus gave us a list of all of his nighttime visitors. People who came to him at night. And how many of our friends and people that we know who in the light, they look like they're so hardened. But at night, they come to him. Are you there? This is it. Nicodemus represents that. And then verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, this verse has thrown me for quite some time. Because if you look at Jesus' reply... And you bounce it off of what Nicodemus just said. It looks like it doesn't have anything at all to do what Nicodemus is saying. I mean, it's Nicodemus is going one way and Jesus just shoots in a whole different direction. It's like, man, what are you doing? This has nothing to do with what he just said. What is this about? Uh, keeping in mind, though, that all the numbers, chapter titles, verse, verse numbers, all those things were not added until much, much later. And if you keep that in mind, because sometimes these numbers kind of set parameters in our own mind that maybe ought not to be there. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 23, let's say, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Yeah, all these people said they believed in him. But Jesus knows how much of it was just pure emotionalism. These guys after him just so they can get fed again. He knows what's really going on in their heart. He knows what's going on in their subconscious. He knows where these people are really at. He understands the depth of their soul. And You see what John is saying. That Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew what all men, anthropos, he did not need man anthropos testimony about anthropos, for he knew what was in a anthropos. Now there was an anthropos of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus. He's going on. He's saying, Jesus knows what's going on in your heart. You don't even have to say anything. Let me give you an example. One day, a guy named Nicodemus came to Jesus. And Nicodemus said, I, Jesus. And Jesus said, you must be born again. He goes, right, Jesus knows what's in his heart. We know that's what's in Nick's heart because Nicodemus didn't stop him and say, yeah, I'm not sure what that means. But I really want to talk to you about the Sabbath, Lord. Now, that's really what I want to figure out what you're thinking about. Doesn't go down that road. Doesn't say, yeah, what? I I don't know. But listen, really, I want to know about those dietary laws because, you know, I'm thinking of like some shrimp. And, you know, can we can we work on that a little bit? He doesn't do that. Nicodemus jumps all over this. Because Jesus knows what's in the heart of a man. 
And he knows why Nicodemus is here. He didn't come just to say, hi, how you doing? There was something in Nicodemus's mind. Nicodemus might have just caught up this, this appointment a couple of days ago. Maybe earlier that day, he thought, finally, I'm going to go talk to Jesus. But God had this on the appointment books from eternity past. Jesus was there waiting for him. He knew he was coming. He knew what the subject it was. He knew what was going on in, in Nick's heart. And, and, and he says, you must be born again. Now, keep it in mind that Nicodemus is coming with a question. Basically, how good is good enough? You know, Lord, I've been doing all these things. And if he's a good Pharisee, he's incredibly generous. He's helping the poor. He's doing all the social justice stuff you you can do. He's living by God's word. He's thinking about it 24-7. He's just there. But Nick knows his heart. And he knows that there are times he fails. And he knows there are times he doesn't just fail by accident. He kind of fails on purpose. What do you do with that? Uh, history tells us that Martin Luther had the same issue. That Luther, when he was a, a Catholic monk, wrestled with this because he's trying to do the righteousness of the law and just get it all down. But he knows his own heart and he blows it all the time. And sometimes he blows it intentionally. And he's wrestling with this. There's no righteousness that I can come up with. I fail, I fail, I fail. And perhaps that's the same question that Nicodemus has. And so Jesus comes to him and says, Nicodemus, I appreciate all the good things you're doing. Good things. Thank you for doing those. Good job. But, but, but your question, how good is good enough? What you need to get in? I'm going to tell you what you need to get in. You must be born again. You, you need a new start. You need, you need a new thing. Now, Nicodemus obviously doesn't understand. Verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus, the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard before. You've got to read this with a little sarcasm and a little biting. I mean, this very intelligent man, he, he, he knows Jesus is not necessarily advocating that, though he doesn't know what Jesus is advocating. Uh, how does this work? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. It says Nicodemus, hang on. if you get back in your mother's womb and you're born again, flesh gives birth to flesh. You're just going to be born of flesh again. And if you can do that again, you'll be born by flesh again and again and again. So born of water is an illusion that they would have understood to that physical birth. And Jesus is saying you have to have the physical birth. But then you also... You need a spiritual birth. You need, you, need, you need a new beginning, Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus then says, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. So Nicodemus, don't look at me like I got two heads. I'm not speaking a foreign language here. Don't be surprised by what I'm saying. And then he goes on and gives you some more detail on, on being born of the Spirit. What's that mean? And then verse 9, Nicodemus answers, how can this be? I don't get it. What do you mean I was, I'm, I'm expected to know this? What, what, what's going on? In verse 10, he says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Jesus said, whoa, hang on, time out, let me figure this out. You're the guy that's teaching the people? You're the one claiming you understand the Old Testament very well, and you miss this? Nicodemus says, I, 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 I guess, I don't know, where might I have, I have found it? And this illusion is several times in the Old Testament, but never more clearly do we find it than in, in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus is saying, this has been this plan from the beginning. Nicodemus, it, it's about uh, a new birth. It's a new beginning. Yeah, you've got to be born physically, but you have to be born spiritually as well. In verse 13, he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. The Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite designation of himself in John. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. What he's doing is, is he's going to take Nicodemus back to a story, our Bibles, Numbers 21, that he would have known very well. The Israelites had just come out of, of Egypt and they were grumbling and complaining. No, rung, 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 manna stinking. Rung. And they were, they were complaining and, and, and God had sent a plague, venomous snakes among them. And the people were bit and those who were bit were perishing. But what, what was said to Moses is, if you want to cure the people, put a, a brass snake on a pole, lift it up. And when people look at the brass snake, they'll be healed. And so Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, remember that story? Yeah, Nicodemus, tell me, how many good things did those people who were bitten, how many good things did they have to do to be fixed? Oh, it does, none. Yeah, that's right. It makes no sense, does it? If you've got toxins running through your system, then just good things, external stuff, that's not going to fix it, will it? You need to deal with the poison on the inside. All the good things in the world are not going to fix it, will they? And then he says, just as Moses and lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This says one day the Son of Man's gonna be lifted up on, on a on a stick. And and where this all works, Nicodemus, is when you you look to him and believe in him. That's what fixes it. Just like in the Old Testament, Nick, this is nothing new. And then the most famous verse of the Bible, there's a reason why it is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you're only going to share one verse with somebody, this is real. there's a reason why this is the most famous verse in the Bible. It's a great verse. Notice, uh, first thing about God. That he loves. You know, God has been given a real bad reputation in this, this world, hasn't he? Uh, God is mean, and he's angry, and he's going to hit you upside the head with a stick. And, and God's charge of the Crusades and all the sin that was done in the name of God and the church. And God is, is, is a meanie. But no, no, no. God so loved. Now, if, if you're a parent and you've got any degree of emotional health to you, how much do you love your children. Oh man, is there anything you wouldn't do for your children? You'd give anything. I mean, you die. Yeah, that's not even a question. You, you, and that, if you could die twice for them, you, you would do anything you could for your children. That's how much you love them. Don't you assume that a pure, infinite, eternal God probably loves to a greater degree and extent than you or I? And God loved the world. He loved you. That He gave. Because that's what love does, isn't it? Love gives. His one and only Son. He loved us so much, he even gave his own Son for us, that whoever believes in him. Now, now notice, believing in him is not the same thing as, as, as believing that. Believing in and believing that, two different things. 
you don't believe that Jesus was born and that Jesus died and that Jesus was resurrected. I mean, that's great. You can believe those historical facts. But believing those historical facts, that those things really did happen, those things does not make you a believer, believe it or not. It's not the way it works. Let me give you an example. Uh, most famous funambulist. You know what a funambulist is? It's a tightrope walker. Most famous tightrope walker, Charles Blondin. And Blondin migrated to the United States 150 years or so ago. He was in, in, in obsessed with Niagara Falls, fascinated with Niagara Falls. He was going to walk the falls. And so he strung a, a rope 1,100 feet across the falls, 160 feet above the water. And uh, as advertised that he was going to walk. So, so 100,000 people on the day he was going to walk came out to see him. And so he started across the, the, the rope, got about halfway, and all the people are taking, a, you know, taking pictures. And he pulled out a camera and started taking pictures of all the people. They're, oh, he made it across. And they're, yay, blinded, blinded. He came back. And this time he came back with a chair. And he set the chair on the rope. And he stood up on the chair above Niagara Falls. Can you imagine this? Okay, guy comes out. He makes it, though. He gets all called. And the people are, ah, blinded. He's incredible. He's incredible. He does this again. Next time he goes across, he makes an omelet halfway across. And then lowers it with a rope to the maid of the mist. And so some folk, somebody on the maid of the mist got breakfast uh, from Blondin. And of course, all the people are, ah, blinded, blinded. He gets, gets back, and this time he pulls out a wheelbarrow. And he's starting to cross, and he looks at the people, do you believe that I can do this with a wheelbarrow? And they're like, yes, yes, we believe you can do it. He says, do you believe I can carry someone in the wheelbarrow? They're, yes, yes, we believe. He said, okay, who will volunteer? <laughs> you know, and, and, and nobody, and suddenly one guy, Harry Calcord, says, I, I believe you can do this. So here he gets in the wheelbarrow. I've, I've tried to picture this this week myself, man. Blinded and I would be in the bottom of those falls in no time. We'd be two, two wet corpses. But, but somehow he makes it across with this guy in the wheelbarrow. Uh, that's the difference between believing that and believing in. One who believes in Jesus is one who says, I believe that only you can get me to the other side. I'm going to surrender and give my life to you because you're the only one who can get me. I'm not getting there because I'm good. I'm not getting there, but only because you. Uh, give you a, an, an illustration. And this is one actually you can use on the back of a napkin, on the back of a piece of paper. Where all very easy. There are lots of fancy illustrations like this bridge illustration. Uh, I think it was come up by the navigators. But uh, we got a very raw one just so you can see. You don't have to be an artist to do this. Uh, when we were created, us and God, we were connected. God created you and me and everybody though, for relationship with him. And you know the story, you know, Satan came and tempted Eve, Eve, you don't need God anymore. And so uh, Eve disobeyed God so she could be her own God, Adam and Eve. And at that point, the relationship was broken. Bible tells us that, that from that point on, everybody who's born is born for relationship with God, but separated from God. You know, it's so interesting. Every single people group that has ever been discovered is out there worshiping a God of some sort. Where did that come from? We just know in our hearts we are created. For, don't know how to get to him. Not sure what he's about, but we know that we were created for a relationship with God. that has been broken. Isaiah 59 lets us know that our sin is what separates us. The picture might be a Grand Canyon sort of picture. You're on one side, God's on the other. A huge gulf between us. And again, Isaiah 59 lets us know that that's what separates us 
are our sins, not just against sin generically, but your personal. If I was to have my list, it'd be very, very long. Uh, lying and lust and pride and, and name an issue multiple times over. Also, the Bible says that when you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. Oh, man. And list just doubled, right? Uh, all that's personal sin separates myself from God. Now, what religion, all religion tries to do this. And this is what religion is about. How do you bridge that gap? And every single religion in the world, they've got a list of do's and they got a list of don'ts. And then every single religion in the world, they got a, a, a solution list in case you did one of the don'ts or you didn't do one of the do's. What do you do? And that's this restitution list. Uh, every, that's what religion does. And so we try. And maybe you've heard, maybe you've seen, maybe you're there. Well, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. Or I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to give. I'm going to do something. We've got to do something. In order to somehow bridge that gap, get to God. And again, the problem is all those things fall, fall short. They can't bridge the gap because the issue is not how many good things did you do? Those sins are still there. They're not going away. Those are the things that separate. So what do you do about those? That was Nick's question. That was Martin Luther's question. Maybe that's your question. Probably ought to be. God, because he loved, he gave. He gave his own son. And when Jesus died on the cross, I don't understand how this works. But God the Father looked to the future, to my specific list of sins. My, I mean, very specific. Disobeyed my parents, you know, August 12, 1974. On and on and on. I took it and put it on the back of Jesus. So every one of those things that separated me from him, Jesus took the punishment for. They're paid. Your list been on the back of Jesus. It's paid for. But it's, it's, it's like if, if someone was to give you a check for a million dollars, that'd be a nice thing, wouldn't it? But it doesn't do you any good until you cash it, right? You can't go and buy stuff. You can't do anything until you go and endorse that check. The fact that Jesus is offering an incredible gift does nobody any good until they accept it, until they say, yes, that's right, until they get in the wheelbarrow. And they say, I've been standing on the wrong side too long. And I've been trying to get there by, by working. And I'm telling you what, it's just a tiring, exhausting thing because I can never do enough. But Lord, I want to surrender my life to you. That's what it means to believe. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. I'm not trying to get to the other side because I've done good things, but only because you have paid the price for me. Here's my life. I surrender it to you. Let me ask you. This is a good question for us this morning. Have you ever surrendered your life to Christ. No more important question. It's not an issue of do. What all the world religions say. It's not an issue of do. It's an issue of done. Jesus has already done it. The message is not over yet. There's a little bit left. But let's take a second to pray. Would you pray with me? I want to give you the opportunity actually. If... If you're beginning to understand for the first time, you can surrender your life to Jesus right here. It's not a contract of all the stuff you're supposed to do. But again, recognizing that he's done it. And giving yourself to him. Thanking him for that which he's done. When I was... Uh, and you can look up now. When I was in uh, 
high school, I really wanted to impact my school. But I didn't have a platform, and I wasn't the fastest, I wasn't the brightest, I didn't, wasn't the drama, I didn't have any of the, the, wasn't one of the pretty people at all, but I wanted to impact my school. So I discovered tracks. You ever discovered, do you know what tracks are? Little, little paper things that kind of talk about this. And so I invested heavily in tracks. And I would remember, I'd get to school before any of their students were there, and I'd go up and down the halls, and I'd stick them in all, all the lockers. <laughs> Put them, fill the lockers. I'd go in the bathroom and stick them into the paper towel dispenser so maybe the custodian guy would get them. I'd walk into the, uh, the music wing and stick them underneath the doors of all the practice rooms. Uh, tracks all over the place. My favorite one was this little green track. Good News Publishers put it out. It's called uh, Am I Going to Heaven? And it has this checklist of like 10, 12 things, you know, and it says, check the things that you think will get you to heaven. You know, baptized and being good and not read the Bible and all these things. So you check them through. And then the track goes through and it basically looks at each one of those things, takes them to Scripture and shows where that's a good thing. But it's not going to cut it. And I remember one day I gave one to Dan Kay. Now, Dan was not a schmuck. Dan was going to go on to be our valedictorian. Uh, 500 kids in our class, at halfway decent sized school. Uh, but I gave this thing to Dan. I didn't know this, but see, Dan was a Nicodemus. He looked like he had it all together. He was one of the pretty people on the outside. But on the inside, he was searching. Well, after class, he must have read this thing all through class because he came to me after class and he said, Okay, what's the deal? How do you get to heaven? I said, What are you talking about? He said, That little paper you gave me. It said all these things that were supposed to get to heaven. It said that that wasn't going to do it. I said, Well, Dan, did you, you read the last page? He said, Oh, the last page. No, I didn't read the last page. So I said, Well, go home, read the last page, and then we'll talk about it tomorrow. Well, he went home and read the last page, came back the next day and he said, Mark, I did what that last page said. Now, I, I, I realized it's not the good things. It's my sin and that Jesus took my sin away. So I commend my life to, to Jesus yesterday. You know, I think I led a dozen kids to the Lord in high school just with that stupid track alone, because it's not I was not a great apologist, incredibly polished communicator. Persuasive. I didn't. God knows I didn't want it to be like Mark. I knew that. But the gospel was so powerful. Uh, Andy Stanley's little book. Since nobody's perfect, how good is good enough? Uh, we, we've ordered 500 copies of these. Uh, many of them were, were taken, actually, after the first hour. But fear not, because we're going to have a bunch more next. We've got about 100 left, but we're going to have a bunch more after next next week for next week um this is funny this is sensitive it's it's not going to put anybody down for where they they stand and yet the gospel is very clear this is the goal this is the goal we need to quit talking about being light we need to be light right so we want to take one of these every we got we want everyone to take one of these again you might have to get it pick it up next week but here's the, here's the deal not so you can just read it and say that's nice with the intention of giving it away within the next two weeks your hairdresser, people at, at, the, at the shop, folk in, in, in the halls, your coach, whoever, to give it away. And, and it's not difficult. It's, 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 you know, my church is doing a project. You know, I just want to, can I, I just like to give you this thing. Or, you know what, can I give you this to read? I'll tell you what, this is funny. It's really intriguing. I just want to give this to you. Uh, you're not going to find too many folk that, that will reject it. And here's the deal. Can you imagine? Uh, you know there's got to be Nicodemuses out there. In your world that you know, though you might not know their Nicodemuses, who are looking. If you put the gospel in their hands, we put out a thousand of these things throughout Erie in people's hands. 
You know they're going to make it in the hands of some Nicodemus somewhere. Who knows what kind of an impact we could make with the gospel. So again, when we leave, we've got a table upstairs, one, one down here. We're going to have more next week. So if they're all gone, don't, don't lose the uh, impetus. And don't be thinking, well, I'm just going to wait. If you don't get one, just go for the t- Fight someone. Get to, tell them it's like Black Friday, man. Get someone off the table. But after they're gone, don't worry, we'll have more next week. If you don't get one this week, you'll be thinking and praying this week. God, who can I give this to? Who should I? I mean, don't tell me you don't have anybody you can give it to. No, that's not the issue. We all I'm a pastor and I have got very few non-Christian contacts. Uh, and so we've got to I've got to give this away. Let's just pray. And just where you're again, where you're at. Was there a name that popped into your head? You know who you need to give yours to. You know. No question about it. Maybe you need to pray about it. Because you're not sure exactly who. But Lord, all of us are here because somebody had the courage and the wisdom to share with with us. We want to say thank you for those people. And, oh, my God, I would pray that as we would seek to get your gospel out to the people in our our worlds, would you go ahead? Would you be working in people's hearts? Lord, you know what's in the heart of a man. You're the only one who does. But would you be working, creating a thirst for people to wonder? And then, God, would you lead us to the right people we need to go to? May we be courageous. And God, we would trust you that we will see people in heaven one day because we were faithful to you in this. So we ask that, Lord. God, as we go forth into our, our worlds today, we do commit it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.